I guess Anders and I had gone to the Netherlands for a trip and uh, I feel like we just would, we lived there for a few months and we were riding around enjoying the lifestyle and sitting on park benches and like philosophizing about everything and uh, just sort of watching what was happening go by. I'm only objecting to the philosophizing part. Everything else seems accurate. Well, I don't know. I just, I'm more I accurately, what, I, oh, for me, it would be someone like you know, complaining. Complaining, <laughs> yeah. Pontificating, I, I guess. Yeah. That's <laughs> pontificating, that's the right one. Not, not looking forward to going home. <laughs> In 2015, two Winnipeggers I know took a trip to the Netherlands for an artist residency. Their names are Leanne Perry and Anders Swanson. They were inspired by the Dutch cycling culture during their visit. You see, in the Netherlands, cycling isn't seen as a fringe activity or something you would do for sport and recreation. It's seen as the simplest, most practical way to get around the city. And everybody does it, no matter your age, status, or ability level in sport. Everybody rides around on these simple, upright, comfortable black bicycles at a moderate pace. It's unlike anything you've ever seen in North America. Seeing this is experiencing egalitarian transportation in action. After a while of watching and observing these plain bicycles, Anders and Leanne had an idea. Could they bring this culture home to Canada? Could they start to influence bicycle culture in North America and create an everyday culture of using your bicycle for basic trips like they have in the Netherlands? I'm Erin Riediger, and this is Plain Bicycle. I'm Leanne Perry. My name is Anders Swanson. Uh, my name is Ian Frank. My name is Torin Swanson. My name is uh, Herbert Cummins. My name is Melissa Bruntlett. And I'm Chris Bruntlett. I'm Dan Ryle. My name is Jenny Sawatsky, and I am part of the Plain Bicycle Project. This is not a bike shop. This is a, this is a culture bomb. It's a North American-wide problem that cycling is still seen as sport and not transport. Oh, I'm coming to the Netherlands because I want to introduce to import Dutch bicycles. So you've promised them and then you go over and you only have three months to do it and then halfway through you're, you've basically got 2% of the bikes you needed. I've waited and waited for this bike and I am thrilled. I'm thrilled beyond belief. Part 2. This is about culture, not business. The Plain Bicycle Project is a project under the umbrella of the Winnipeg Trails Association. Winnipeg Trails is an advocacy body that works to improve active transportation in Winnipeg, Manitoba. The Plain Bicycle Project was founded by Anders Swanson and Leanne Perry after their artist residency trip to the Netherlands. I'm Leanne Perry and uh, I'm a co-founder of the project. Uh, my name is Anders Swanson, and I'm a uh, uh, chief gopher and bottle washer for the Plain Bicycle Project. Torin Swanson is Anders' younger brother, and he joined the project in round one to help retrieve bicycles from the Netherlands. He has provided continued technology support for the project. My name is Torin Swanson. Um, I'm a digital engineer um, that works on various computer things and um, through project creation to um, all sorts of idea creation and stuff like that and um Anders and Leanne asked me if I wanted to come to to Rotterdam the, the first year well actually it was Amsterdam 
um, and it turned out to be Rotterdam, um, to help them with the project. Ian Frank came to the project when he joined the board of Winnipeg Trails. He was at home in Winnipeg when some of the others were trying to retrieve bikes in the Netherlands. So his role quickly became trying to work with the bank and unravel the logistics of international shipping. Uh, my name is Ian Frank. I met with Anders to discuss uh, running a winter biking uh, like mapping workshop. And we had started talking and then he had asked if I was interested in sort of reforming the Winnipeg Trails board, joining the board and reforming Winnipeg Trails Association with him. Um, and so we started getting talking about that. And then um, just because Plain Bicycle is a project of Winnipeg Trails, they went off to Europe to start figuring out bikes. And I was the person in Canada with a signing authority of a bank account. So all of a sudden I kind of was involved. <laughs> Herbert Tiemens, who we met in our last episode, was a key Dutch ally in the project, helping with the language barrier, bicycle supply connections, and even providing home-cooked meals on occasion. My name is uh, Herbert Tiemens from the province of Utrecht. I'm working there as a, a senior policy advisor for the province of Utrecht. And as the province of Utrecht is member of the Dutch Cycling Embassy, we go abroad to talk about cycling, to, to present people the solutions that we made in the Netherlands, to find out what works for other countries. And uh, also, we often uh, host visitors, visitors to, to the Netherlands and to our place, and we show them around what Dutch cycling is. Yeah. Well, I know Anders from a long time ago. I think the first time was in 2013 that I met him at a Velo City conference. And then a few years later, he said, oh, I'm coming to the Netherlands because I want to, introduce, to import Dutch bicycles. So can you help me out? And then I helped him uh, preparing the bicycles uh, to ship them to, to Winnipeg. Dan Ryle and Jenny Sawatsky came to the project through Dan working for Winnipeg Trails. In 2019, the two led round two of the Plain Bicycle Project. Yeah, so my name is Jenny Sawatsky, and I am part of the Plain Bicycle Project. And uh, I'm Dan Ryle, and I'm also part of the Plain Bicycle Project. Yeah, I guess it started out, so first Plain Plain Bicycle 1, I guess we can call it. Our capacity working on that project was kind of just staying in Winnipeg, not going to the Netherlands, and then helping when the bikes actually came to Canada, unloading the shipping container, um, fixing the bikes up, helping host the party. Um, so I guess we've kind of always been around the Plain Bicycle Project, but I guess on this Plain Bicycle too, we had more of a role where we were actually collecting the bikes in the Netherlands. Now that we've met the team members of the Plain Bicycle Project, I wanted to go back and talk about the concept. It sounds pretty simple in theory. You put up a website and get people to commit a few hundred dollars to pay for a team of Canadians to go to the Netherlands, collect a bunch of used Dutch bicycles, which are supposed to be littering the streets, and then pack them into a shipping container bound back for Canada. And then you would fix up the Dutch bikes that need fixing and give them to their new owners. Except, as I began to speak to the team more and more, I realized that the logistics of this were not as simple as it sounds. And the concept isn't really that simple either. 
I got Anders and Leanne to explain to me the concept a bit more and how they came up with it during their artist residency to the Netherlands in 2015. I, 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 this would have been our second trip to the Netherlands where we decided to do it. Um, but, you know, for people who are living in a car culture, even when you know that it's, even if you work on bicycle stuff all the time, and you know that it's amazing and you're in it and you're watching it, and it takes a while to for all the little pieces to sink in. That's what's kind of so fun about it. And that's why, because it's it's so per, permeates every part of our life. So we had been already to the Netherlands one time, and I don't think we thought of this. And I actually don't think that we thought of the bike as all that important. important. Even though, I don't know what bikes we had, but, or were using like on the first trip. Like I had been to the Netherlands before that too, twice for short periods, but each time, yeah, again, like, I think once I even have had my own bike that I brought with, which is probably a dumb move. Um, but I don't think the time we went to Tilburg um, and Leowaden that we, I think we just borrowed what's-his-name's bikes that were at the house, but I don't think we even know. I never noticed that. But I don't think they were playing bikes. So we weren't riding around on What them. everybody else was. Yeah, what yeah. everybody else was. So it didn't occur to us, but we definitely noticed a lot of, biking and we spent mm-hmm. a lot of time watching people and and wondering what's different but yeah, yeah. the idea that the bicycle itself didn't yeah. uh, occur to us because we we didn't experience the feeling of riding it yeah oh, you know, and the second time we had different bikes though we had access to some bikes that were locked up um we, we were doing like an artist residency thing both of us and the artist residency place in the hague had bikes for people to borrow and we borrowed those ones and we started riding those ones around and I think probably that was like you know like first time you got that and you said oh this is a pretty sweet bike like comfy you know I don't think they're even exactly Oma feats there but they were closer to it mm-hmm. um which is funny because most of it, like it's nine times out of ten it's going to be that bike but we just we never had a opportunity and it was kind of like I know we was. also we also thought a lot about like taking video uh-huh. and pictures uh-huh. of just like uh, Dutch life on the street and that like and how and watching people go by on bicycles that mm-hmm. the image of seeing that um, and that the flow of bicycles go go past was something that we wanted to like preserve or keep in our memory yeah. and show other people. So maybe it's the art residency part where you're you're looking at like you're trying to think of something else like you're actively trying to to create cr- something create out something of it, out of yeah. something that's in this case super mundane there special to us and also probably because when you're there you don't want to just make something that's you know like not interesting to the people who are there too because like you don't want to be not cool like you know like if you go for a European art residency thing you don't want to like make something that they're like, oh my God, that's, that's so boring. And we did that 20 years ago and it's not even art anymore or something. Like, I don't know. So like in terms of that kind of thinking, you're, you're st- for example, you're starting to think about, eliminate the visual and think about the sound. Or I know we talked about that. We, we talked about like like 24-hour long take uh, mm-hmm. looped film things so that we could, because I was always working in like, well, working, but like taking Twitter photos of, you know, oh, look at this. Here's like a so-so riding a bike. How cool is it to be in a, you know, like a lot of people do, but. Anders and Leanne were looking for a way to bring back the culture of plane cycling in the Netherlands, but they quickly realized 
that traditional media like video or paintings and photographs wouldn't quite cut it. And we wanted to show that like over a long period of time, like um, like a 24-hour piece mm -hmm. on the building in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. And just because we wanted to take that image and put it here. Oh, and, and I think mm -hmm. that idea of like taking that image and putting it here, mm -hmm. what does that mean? What does that look like? And mm -hmm. then, yeah, that probably... Scaling. Scale, yeah. You're already thinking down. about scaling because we were thinking about... Because that's, yeah, that's totally it. When we, I think that's probably it actually. Never thought about this before, but if you... You can't, you can't, it's like, um, what's a good example? There's some things, for example, in life that are impossible to photograph. Like there's almost no way to photograph them. Like even if you have like a wide angle lens, like the, the best thing you could do, like, like a great example is the forest. If you, like I, I like to, my, if I had, if I could do any job in the world, it probably be, would be taking like a large format camera into a forest and just going there and come back making a book and then I'll die happy. And, um, but I know from trying to photograph the forest, you can't capture the micro scale and the larger scale at all in any kind of satisfactory way. And it's like kind of sucks. Um, and you really got to try to get angles right to really convey or even come across the right part of the forest. that's able to show you it's all of its secrets kind of, and like a bicycle culture is like that too. Like a lot of the photographs, I like, I'll even take them on my phone or whatever and get ready. Okay. This is going to be the most amazing Instagram pose is going to convince everybody in North America. We need to ride a bike. And I look at it. It's like, actually there's like cars in the background. It doesn't look all that different and that you can't really see the look on the face of the person that I thought was there or, you know, and like, and I also am coming from a background of theater. So I think a lot about, uh, physical experience and like audience and um, spectacle participation and placing that in the street realm and like how uh, what we see on a day-to-day -day, our da daily behavior is also somewhat of a performance and how mm -hmm. I might use that sort of those tools to also change culture a little bit too and so like um, interested in Yes, seeing what we were watching there and like translating it into a physical experience here as a kind of performance of some kind that mm -hmm. those skills and those tools and the ways of seeing what we were seeing. Leanne and Anders realized that to convince people of the benefits of everyday bike culture, a scale where people could experience the bikes in greater density in their own context would become important. Like the reason the Plain Bicycle Project became like a good idea was because of the scaling of it. Uh, and, and that scaling is necessary because a naysayer will, they'll take parts of it, like they'll take literally a picture of the bike um, and they'll take parts of it and put it into this context and then imagine themselves. But like if, if, even just if the sound doesn't match, it's not actually the same thing. And, um, because like now it's like you on this bike, but then it's like surrounded by that growling sound of that truck that I can hear from my window right now while we're talking. Um, and it's it, the jingle jangly sound uh, doesn't work. And then there's like everything cascades from that. Like, yeah, it's a different if you're not the weird guy in the office doing it, but that like, you know, you and your grandma were just out for tea. And then yesterday on Sunday, and now you're back at the office and you did it all on bike. You didn't think about it. And so like what, yeah, totally. We, I think, I think it was like, how do we bring this like whole, also, yeah, like exactly, Leanne, probably Leanne, what, 
what happened to from thinking because you were working on the the seat of the canoe project that mm-hmm. was another transportation focused art project or whatever or it kind of came out of that actually sort of didn't it no it didn't it's separate but the, separate. that same like translation yeah that seat of a canoe was getting audience members to be in a canoe and watching a performance on the side of, um, on the banks and so i'm was thinking heavily a, a lot about the logistics of getting audience members to participate in an action that um, at, that gave them a, per, a certain perspective on, on things. And, and to me, that was moving through space in a, in a particular way. And so that tra- translates very well to mm-hmm. sitting on a bicycle. What can you... what? Uh, what was I experiencing sitting on a bicycle um, and how can you offer that to other people by putting them in that place and, and, then, and then thinking about the logistics of, of, of making it easy for somebody to do that. That was like boiling in the background, essentially those kinds of ideas of how do we get this into Winnipeg. And, and it, it and is you, a crazy idea to try and do too, like because nobody else I don't think has... Like, obviously, people ship all kind of stuff around the world, and they're all comfortable with that. But I think nobody had um, thought of the idea of using the, the actual bicycle itself in order to be, like, an advocacy tool. Not that it, like, I mean, that's also just about the bikes and, and, about, and about giving people, like, an f- awesome, fun time. But it's it's different than putting one in, in your pack sack and bringing it home and then showing people, like, mm-hmm. so that's probably why in that art context that that came up because you need to create you need basically and actually maybe that might be what this project evolves into and kind of will be when we do the launch from this detailed conversation with anders and leanne i started to realize that the plain bicycle project is about a lot more than just bringing people useful bicycles that they can use on a day-to-day basis the plain bicycle project is an art project it's an installation It has the power to show people what bicycles can do for their way of life. And it could impact our cycling culture in North America. There's a, sorry, there's another, there's one other thing that occurred to me that had to be in the uh, Petri dish or whatever for it to happen. And I think that that was all the other people working in Winnipeg on bicycle repair. And like you just mentioned it there, but like, just want to say explicitly, like, and you mentioned the dump, but. But, like, being from a place where you know that, like, another 50 people could be brought together to to hammer through 400 bikes in 24 hours for the kids near the marathon or that people are willing to go out to the bike, to the dump, dig through, like, that with a rag over their nose and, and, and pull up bikes and, and, and get them repurposed and stuff. Like, because like, I remember when we were first talking about logistics, I was like, well, first of all, we had no logistics, and then we, we launched the project anyways. And to have the confidence of like kind of doing something like that, I remember thinking like all these other organizations will, you know, we can maybe store some there, borrow the tools for a bit. You know, in the end, it's like reality hits, and it's like actually they need those tools. They don't have actually the storage space, and like like you're on the board, you're on charge, you know, like this kind of thing. It's like okay, well. Shit, better come up with a different plan. But at least I had seen it happen before, right? Like, and Winnipeg is really special for community bike shops and for um, that volunteer ethic around biking. Like, there's more community bike shops here than anywhere else in North, in, in, in on the world that I know of. It's not a thing. And then the question just became like, how how how, cheap get, how many bikes can, can get? it be possible yeah. to do? 
and then yeah um, okay we need this much money and then that means we need this many people to s sign up for this amount and then we'll figure the rest out we'll figure out the rest out after before leaving the netherlands the two made a series of paintings of a shipping container with bicycles inside that formed an animated gif that's still on the website today we were supposed to make some art in this internship <laughs> Like the internship was, it wasn't too long and we, you know, we were like doing a lot of stuff and I was like, I never make paintings and I always want to make paintings and I never have any chance. And this was like a chance to be like, okay, both productive and make some art, quote unquote. Um, yeah. Anyways. So would you say that the bicycle project was ultimately the art you came out with from this, um, from your residency? Yeah, probably. It's a good way to look at it. Yeah, that makes me feel more yeah. more comfortable about <laughs> the fact that I tried to retire from being a bike mechanic. So this yeah. is just all a kind of art. Yeah, it is. It, it does feel like a kind of art for sure. And I, I do think that makes it a bit special too, because when even for the launch party next next week, uh, like people will experience their consumer, um, or like the customer um, relationship. As a kind of art, in some way, it'll be a different experience than they're, than they're normally used to um, getting something at a store and immediately being able to to have the return. Because what I hope that we can offer people is not just um, the object, but the 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 future um, idea and seed to ch of change, essentially. Yeah, and that they will then become a. a, a part of that and they will become somebody who is a catalyst for another person um, because just just by riding that bike they are they become also the show for somebody else who wants to ride a bike yeah we're also thankful for the people who just like want a bike and are like that's a cool ride bike but um, and, and, and actually what's interesting the other thing that makes it an art project for example and not a business is that we're actively not trying to make it cool. Like maybe it's unsuccessful because the bike itself is like pretty cool and the pictures are kind of cool, you know, like it's nice. Like, um, and when you see somebody on regular clothes, it's like, Oh, it looks like a bit of a fashion shoot instead of an MEC catalog. Right. But, um, but we're actively trying to be like, like, this is boring. Like, <laughs> I don't know in a way like this, we want this to be boring. And we also are not like, um, we want you to be so proud of this, have the bike like the whole idea is like that hopefully nobody's going to be at all proud of any of the bikes eventually and like everybody will just kind of have one and we'll forget and other people will sell them and it won't be us you know like like we don't want to spread the brand you know like plain bicycles are called that for a reason right it, it has whatever in a meta world it's got its own way of being anyways whatever it's all those things but it's like yeah, straight up business would, I think, do that a little bit differently. And also there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be like, well, this bike kind of sucks actually compared to what I thought because it jingle jangles and it's rusty on the outside and it's, it's heavy. heavy and like, you know what I mean? This is yeah. not what I was told mm -hmm. by, you know. I wanted to learn more about the plain bicycle culture in the Netherlands and why it's worth bringing back to Canada. I asked Herbert Tiemens about this. Hmm. Yeah, that's really hard when you are totally absorbed by by this culture. So, uh, explain a fish. Uh, let a fish explain what is water. Uh, well, cycling is just everywhere. When you go uh, to 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 the market, when you go to school, 
you go by bike. You don't think about it because it's the easiest way to go around. Uh, uh, children, they start cycling at an uh, age of uh, three or four. And when they're 10, everyone cycles to school. And when they go to, to high school, everyone is cycling. So it's also a social activity. Uh, you wait at the end of the village to go to the next village in a big group to go cycling. And, uh, or you, you make a slightly a detour to, to bring your friends home. So cycling is a social activity very much. And it's, of course, it's also transport. Uh, because you have, go from A to B, and uh, especially for children, it's it's great because they are not supervised by their parents or by teachers or anyone. So it's freedom for them, and that's really great. They have their freedom already at an age or seven or eight years old when they can go to the sports and they go everywhere. And well, people want to keep to that uh, feeling of freedom. Also, myself, I decide to work every day, and there's no boss uh, at work or at home. Uh, I'm in between those uh, spaces, so I really enjoyed those moments. I asked Herbert if he thought that bringing plain bicycles back to Canada would help to influence our cycling culture. I think it will change the the experience of cycling because uh, cycling is now mostly seen as a sports activity. And of course, you can use a bike for that. Uh, but the plane bikes, uh, they have a different, very different design. So it's it's really clear that those bicycles are no sports machines. And uh, people will use it in a different way. You are more upright, so you see uh, your surroundings. Um, and also those short trips. And that's where you want to, well, you want to connect to your neighbors. You want to connect to, to everything else. And um I think, I, I, well, uh, I've seen now several people who are also now interested in copying the, the plane bicycle concept. So they want to have it in Romania, uh, in France, they are interested. And they have seen, oh, this is something clever. So, yeah, it might become a, a good movement to, to, to uh, spread away of Dutch cycling all over the world. Yeah. Melissa and Chris Brentlett are Canadians who recently moved to the Netherlands. They are the authors of Building the Cycling City, the Dutch Blueprint for Urban Vitality. I asked them if they noticed a difference in the way that upright cyclists are treated as compared to other types of cyclists. I think we've observed that in as much as how things had changed in Vancouver before we moved and starting to see just a different treatment of even ourselves when we're out on our bikes. Um, you know, yeah, we were we were certainly flaunting the, uh, the BC law of not wearing a helmet, but we always found that people gave us more breadth and weren't as aggressive around us because of the fact that we were riding more casually and a little bit slower. Um, here, it's hard to say that we've seen that just because it is so, it's just everyone does it. So it, it's hard for me to think that. Yeah, it's kind of a non-issue. Right, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, um, this was part of our early advocacy work in Vancouver is that we um, we saw the type of people on the bikeways changing as the conditions improved, but the images that the media were using, the imagery that the um, advocacy groups were using, the, the imagery that the city of Vancouver was using was still very uh, exclusive. It was still very uh, sport-centric, um, and we couldn't help but think that a general audience that's that's seeing those images still think as cyclists as others and uh, cycling as something that other people do rather than um, seeing them as, as fellow human beings and, and seeing 
that as something that they could also give a try themselves. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest issues that Melissa and Chris encountered with their advocacy work in Vancouver was that the bicycles they thought that people should be riding to achieve an everyday bicycle culture weren't available in the city anywhere. So another part of our bike advocacy in Vancouver is we couldn't find these bikes anywhere. We were so frustrated and started um, riding and advocating for better bike shops and bike shops that um, sold these bikes because we would, uh, we had lucky enough to get our hands on some through Craigslist and through work that we were doing for Momentum magazine. And they were imported from uh, other countries and other continents. But uh, we'd get asked where they some a friend of ours could find a nice city bike in Vancouver and we wouldn't know where to send them because um, everywhere they went, it would be uh, mountain bikes, hybrid bikes, road bikes. Uh, and uh, and then they'd have one or two city bikes, you know, collecting dust in the corner that the staff there weren't trained or interested in selling. You know, despite all this effort in terms of building the infrastructure in Vancouver, we weren't having a conversation about um, the types of bikes people were riding and uh, how we could make them more accessible. Because to us, that was another barrier um, to getting more people cycling. And, and uh, so it uh, a lot of that frustration um, fed into our work. And then ultimately, the, the second chapter of the book where we talk about it's not just a Vancouver problem, it's a North American-wide problem, that cycling is still seen as sport and not transport. An interesting factor on top of that is even just in the price of the bike. So Chris talked about the people not knowing where to start often when it comes to buying a bike. Yes, yeah, so oftentimes the experience people would have in Vancouver when they go to buy a bike is, you know, you start out bare minimum, at like a $750 bike, and that's for like the baseline. And then the salespeople obviously are more in tune with uh, mountain bikes and road bikes in Vancouver and hybrid bikes that they're going to upsell you. So then you, you find yourself suddenly in a space where you're spending easily $1,500, if not more, on a bike, plus all the extra accessories. Um, and that can dissuade a lot of people. It's a, it's a big barrier for people that have lower incomes or tight budgets that they're working with. Whereas here, I mean, um, you can buy a used bike for between 50 to 100 euros. It's been fixed up. It's got everything on it. And if you want to buy a new bike, and we found some new bikes for 200 euros here. You know, they're probably not the cream of the crop in terms of a bike itself, but it's still an accessible entry-level bike for most people who want to buy something new as opposed to having to essentially make a rent payment to buy a new bike. So bike theft is, uh, or at least was, uh, and continues to be a a major issue in Vancouver, but mm-hmm. uh, because we would hear people wouldn't cycle into the city center because there was no secure place to ride their bike. But that becomes less of an issue when your bike is worth less, <laughs> for obvious reasons. And when your bike is not, you're not so precious about uh, your bike. And that's what we found here is, you know, because we're only riding around 100 euro meters, um, we care less about whether it gets stolen or not. So we're more likely to take it into the city center or somewhere where we know it's not in a secure location. And Melissa's actually already had a bike stolen a couple of weeks ago. Um, which was still heartbreaking which was you know (laughs) but you know all we did was we went straight back out and got another used one for another 100 euros it wasn't the end of the world whereas it's happened to us before in vancouver where we've lost five six hundred dollar bikes and that's a much more bitter pill to swallow and that's where it starts impacting people's behavior whether they cycle to a place or not and um, so I think um, there's a lot the bike industry could be doing to solve a lot of these problems. And uh, unfortunately, they're part of the problem rather than the, part of the solution. 
Because Dutch bicycles are so easy to ride, if they were made available, they could open cycling to a much more diverse audience. Well, and it was in the process of writing the book, it was interesting because we were hearing all through the interviews that we did that um, native Dutch people, quote unquote, uh, cycled a lot more than the immigrant population, the Turks and the Moroccans that were um, emigrating to the Netherlands. And Angela was one of the last people we spoke to and she kind of said, well, that's all nonsense. You know, people don't have a preference um, of how they get around. They just have a need to get around. Um, and because they've come from a country where cycling isn't as prevalent, whether it's Canada, New Zealand, or Turkey or Morocco, um, they just need to be made familiar with the bicycle and shown how to do it. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've, we've seen firsthand now moving to Delft in uh, certain neighborhoods like where our son goes to school, there's a heavy Middle Eastern population and there's women and children riding around with, uh, you know, full uh, hijab. And, and, and it's just amazing to see because... The bicycle enables that and the infrastructure enables that. And there's this culture of normalcy um, where getting around by bike is just no big deal. And uh, all those elements kind of combine to make uh, make them just as likely to cycle as anyone else in that community, whether no matter what their background is, it's it's the infrastructure and the bicycle that enables that. And by making it completely seamless, like it's the most intuitive, practical way to get around most of the cities here. And I think that's a lesson that we sometimes overlook uh, from a North American standpoint, is we see the bicycle as this sort of niche way of getting around when it can, it will, if designed, if the streets are designed appropriately for it, becomes the easiest and simplest way for people to get around. And driving becomes a pain in the ass. And driving. Yeah. <laughs> we have driven only once since we got here. We had to get something from Ikea and uh, didn't have a cargo bike, access, didn't have access to a cargo bike to do it that way instead. and. The, the trip by car from our place to Ikea was twice as long as when we biked it. Because of the way that a plain bicycle is designed, you're more likely to notice the person riding the bicycle than the bicycle itself. Anders and Leanne also experienced noticing the people over the bicycle while in the Netherlands. And we were also noticing, like, probably within that, like, why didn't we see the bike or whatever? What we were seeing was the people on the bike, more so, and um, mm-hmm. that we could see them, period, and that, that they were, like, my mom, they were my grandma, they were, like, a, a little kid, they were all, they were people that we noticed because we weren't used to seeing those people here. Dan and Jenny also noticed the diversity of cyclists when they were in the Netherlands during round two of the Plain Bicycle Project. Some of the people that stand out are moms, and they've got their heels on, they've got a kid on the front, kid on the back, they've got groceries, and they're just casually biking along in the Netherlands, and it's just normal for them for us to see that. And I guess the opposite would be the elderly. You see a lot of older people who you think might be less mobile, but they're, they're perfectly capable of riding their omafits through the Netherlands. Someone was telling us that they're, they, they did a study, I forget if it, I think it was a couple years ago, to find the oldest person in the Netherlands that still rides the bike, and I think they were 102. Wow. Um, pretty amazing. And then one, one, I think one guy also stands out when we were, oh, we were, we were just east of Utrecht, and, um, 
there was a guy probably over 90 with, with um, anoma feats, but he had um, training wheels attached to it. So it would always stay upright. <laughs> um, and he, he didn't care about anything really. He went right through a red light, <laughs> lowest pace, but just big smile on his face. Um, kind of in the middle of nowhere. There was yeah. no real cities around. <laughs> I'm not sure what he's doing, but that was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and then the other people that I think stand out are also um, like trades workers. There's a lot of people that ride these bikes that, um, mm. like, that it, their job is on this bike. Um, there's tools on it um, that they're wearing, kind of like a, a coverall type thing. And, and yeah, like, we just don't have anything close to that, really. Mm-hmm. I, there is one guy in Winnipeg that I know that has a trailer with a ladder and he does landscaping, <laughs> and he's an amazing guy. Um, uh, yeah, but everybody does that in the Netherlands. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Yeah. Melissa elaborates that plain bicycle culture is something that you really need to see or experience to fully understand. And this brings us back to why Anders and Leanne wanted to do the project. It's unfortunately one of those things that I think you need to come here or at least, you know, follow along people that live here or sharing images from here to really appreciate because I, I, you know, I knew people were getting around on upright bikes more. I knew it was more like socially common for everyone to be riding that way. But until you see grandmas riding with kids on their, the backs of their bikes or, or old couples riding around the city together or children riding without parents through the city, enjoying themselves and, it's just, it's just a different mindset. And it's, I don't know, it'd be, I remember things being like that in the 80s to not, I don't want to wax nostalgic too much, but I remember riding around with my friends when I was younger. And to not see that now is kind of sad in a lot of North American cities. And it's something that I would really hope for Mm -hmm. is to see cycling as just something that can be done by uh, kids on their own. It can be done by your grandma and your grandpa and done well into old age um, and just seen as a normal way to get around because I think that would be when we're talking about cycling that would be an identification that we've truly made it equitable for anybody no matter where they come from no matter how old they are or their ability we've made it possible for them to get around on two three four wheels depending mm-hmm. Leanne Perry elaborates that's why I feel like this project is so significant though because what I'm seeing is this is a lot of different people being able to understand something about cycling that they didn't understand before. And, um, like, I, f- I feel like when we put out an email, like, it's very quick to respond. Everybody wants this. And I think a lot of the people on there are women, and a lot of them are also possibly not riding a bike at this moment. Like, but so... To me, that's sort of saying there's like a desire for this sort of normalized um, way of cycling. Uh, like when we go out on um, mini fest and, and put up the bikes and have like these interactions where people um, sit up, like have not ride, rode a bike since they were like a kid and they're like in their 60s and they sit on this, this bike and they've been looking for a bike in the store, but then they find this one. Um, they it changes like the possibilities for them. So I think that that has like this impact where more people then can cycle because what is available, I think, for people to be able to access is really important, right? Uh, and, and not just like 
somebody being able to make a decision to to change their lifestyle, but just that they can access that change is is important for for being able to change the trajectory of how many people are riding the bike or whatever. Now that we have some clarity on the concept for the Plain Bicycle Project and why it's important to try to bring this culture back to North America, let's go back and talk about the logistics. The team wants to go to the Netherlands to bring back a minimum of 100 bicycles, ship them back to Canada. How are they going to do this? Next time on Plain Bicycle. So like in the Netherlands, a bike shop or, or this kind of place is more like, like, it's not like here. Like here it's like young kids, fresh face, like, hey, like eager or like hipstery people, right? But there it's more like, you're, it's like more like the Main Street auto body and the dump. The message from Rotterdam is probably one that's most applicable to a lot of uh, North American cities. It's basically a theme that covers all of the work that happens uh, in the Netherlands consistently is this idea that um, streets aren't, just because they've been one certain way for you know, 50 years, 100 years, doesn't mean that we can't change them. Thank you for listening to Plain Bicycle. Plain Bicycle is an independently written, recorded, and produced podcast by myself, Aaron Riediger. You can follow me on Twitter at Aaron Riediger. Follow at Plain Bicycle Podcast on Instagram for visuals to accompany this episode. Visit the Plain Bicycle Project on Twitter at Plain Bicycle, Instagram at Plain.Bicycle, or their website, PlainBicycle.org. Please spread the word by subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast. A key resource for this podcast was Building the Cycling City, the Dutch Blueprint for Urban Vitality by Melissa and Chris Brentlett. Please visit the episode post on Instagram for additional resources and thank yous. Well, first of all, we had no logistics and then we launched the project anyways.